0: Welcome to The Pickup, February 5th, 2021. This is STAB's weekly surf podcast recorded in the STAB office in Australia. My name is Danny Johnson and I'm here to break down the week in surf with you. And this episode, we're gonna chat to STAB co-founder Sam McIntosh about the article he wrote recently titled Winners of 2020. And this story is, it's a look at how some surfers broke the trend and thrived financially last year. Everything from Barbie dolls to porn came into the mix. But before we do that, we're going to chat to Stab Premium contributor and Ain't That Swell host Jed Smith about the WSL's recent attempts to run a world tour event at Lenox Head, New South Wales, Australia, and the fiery response from the locals that managed to stop the event from happening, at least for now. Jed also recently wrote the first of a two-part article about his employment at Stab Magazine that effectively saved his life. And I've, met, I've known Jed for a long time now and he's one of surfing's just greatest characters. And over the years we've chatted and I've heard bits and pieces from his upbringing, but to have it all laid out in an article, it was just, it was really actually quite confronting. And It's a really wild story of a wild life, and, and you get a real insight into why Jed is often focusing on the things that he does and the more gritty side of surfing's fringes. And the story is is a really brutal and honest take on some of the hardest moments of Jed's life and how he's managed to become the sometimes angry, always really funny, uh, trigger hippie surf journalist that we all love today. So I encourage everyone to read it. But firstly, let's chat to Jed about the WSL versus Lennox Head locals. <laughs> Oh, calm down. <laughs> the WSL is attempting to hold a world tour event at Lennox in the coming months, which has been pretty highly opposed by a lot of the locals. And you attended the extraordinary general meeting at the Ballina council chambers yesterday, where the WSL was putting forward their case to council. What happened?
1: Yeah, I mean, pretty remarkable scenes there. Uh, I think they called it an extraordinary meeting, councillor Wright, which is, uh, you know, not typical. Um, hence the term, extraordinary. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it was pretty wild down there. Like um, I think we kind of got there early and got inside the council chambers. So I think there was only 22 people out in there. So there was a couple of representatives from uh, Lennox Ballinor board riders, Lebar board riders and um, a handful of concerned, concerned uh, Lennox locals. Kind of tended to be a bit more on the older side, I thought. The, the big dogs, the big dogs from the community were all inside, um, and I guess you had LeBar, the LeBar president Ben Beasley was sitting in the front row, and uh, you know. And LeBar
0: is Lennox Baloner, right?
1: Yeah, and um, LeBar was, they were fully behind um, the WSL having a world tour contest there, or at least all of the committee members were, um, and then uh, a significant portion of the community was against it. But you didn't. You don't really know what the numbers are, what the percentage is. Mm. And one of the points Ben made to me afterwards was that you know the people who are for it tend to remain quiet, um, and the people who are against it are the noisy ones. And they were fucking noisy, man.
0: Yeah, I wanted to know about the demeanour of the surfers there, whether whether it was, it was a peaceful protest or they came bringing some spice. Yeah, there was some serious spice.
1: So they're all out in the foyer outside, um, the vast majority of people who come to the meeting. And uh, the procession, the proceedings were being live streamed to the foyer. So you had, I don't know how many people were out there, like a couple dozen at least. Uh, and there was a bit of a lag on the the stream going out but uh, every time a councillor spoke against having the contest there like a deafening roar filled the chamber and it wow. was it was quite rattling for the the councillors they were I don't think they were used to that kind of public pressure and you know what i really i really wonder what would have happened if they had have sided with the tour contest because if they went uh, if they went with the WSL and agreed to have the contest there, like they were going to face a couple dozen very angry people uh, on the way out with no security around. And, um, I mean, the moment I was I stepped inside the chamber, like there was serious tension. Like surfers and politicians do not get along, <laughs> man. <laughs> they don't. And you can feel it. You know, people were just so ready to, to you know, tut, tut and, and –
0: that people already had, had had a gut full of the politicians before they'd even said a word. It wasn't the first time this has happened. Back in 2008, Ripcole started making inquiries about trying to uh, hold a search event at Lennox and mm. the, the community was able to stop that. What was different this time?
1: Um, I don't know if anything was different. I mean, um, that kind of uh, older generation from Lennox are staunch – as they come, like, they know the the power and influence they got there. Um, you know, I guess that word solidarity comes to mind. Like, they know how to protect their wave. They're not a- afraid to, uh, you know, paddle out during a contest. That was one of the threats kind of hinted at during the council chamber meeting by Nick Mercer, one of the Lennox spokespeople. He said, you know, if, if they do want to run the contest against uh, the community's wishes, I can... I can very easily foresee a situation in which um, there's a, a peaceful protest and a paddle out during the, the contest, mm. uh, and with the security, like there could be an ugly confrontation. You know, like wow. So actual proper
0: threats, like well,
1: I mean, he was just uh, hypothesising <laughs> on a potential scenario
0: that might <laughs> unfold. <laughs> wow. But uh, and so, do you you touched on it before? Do you think that the energy in the room? Actually affected the situation and and the response from the council members.
1: Man, it, it's so hard to say, but um, like they were affected, visibly affected by the cheers and stuff. And you know, that, you know, I feel like I was puffing a bit of smoke up there. Woo-hoo. Uh, <laughs> you know, they they were pretty like. They were pretty chuffed with themselves as they were delivering the the rejection and all the cheers um, coming in. But then it, it wasn't unanimous. There was uh, a few councillors opposed, um, or like, or for the contest. Sorry, opposed to the, the decision to reject it.
0: Was there any tension between the people that were for and against in the room that were there at the council chambers? Could you sense any – because these guys, it's a small community. They all know each other. Yeah. They would all have a fair understanding of each other's point of view. Did you sense any any tension there?
1: Mate, that was one of the most interesting dynamics at play actually. I thought um, there there wasn't really. Like peop, the civility was impressive, you know. Like um, it kind of made me proud to be Australian in that sense. Like we have such a uh, – uh a, a kind of you know in America or something like shit you watch how quickly shit just spirals out of control over there uh we we re- like i don't know where it comes from but we subconsciously have it just uh so deeply drilled into us to be polite or something especially when it's w- with members of your own community um so yeah like the lebar guys um you know they knew everyone who was opposed to the plans and in every group of friends, there was people for it and against it. Um, So yeah, I I was impressed with the restraint and uh, civility of the whole setting.
0: And if the event was approved and there was a paddle out, what, what, what does that actually mean? Because I've never actually seen that happen. I know at one of the pipeline bodyboarding comps, Sean Briley paddled out and just continued to surf pipe because it was pumping. Yeah. But I don't know if there's ever been a well to a world tour surf event where there's been a paddle out protest.
1: No, there's been a couple of threats. I remember uh, when I was in Hawaii, the Hui wanted to, uh, they were threatening a paddle out um, at the Pipe Masters over. I think it was the WSL's decision to cut the amount of local wildcards as they were going, transitioning from that 45-man kind of world tour event with a ton of like 24 local wildcards or whatever it was. Mm. 16 local wildcards, some crazy number in those early rounds. And uh, that's the only one I know of. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what would it look like? Was that the question? Mm, yeah, I guess. Um, Fire out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: be an interesting one to watch. So the council rejected... The plans for the WSL event is that it is there is there anything that can happen now where yeah they... the
1: state government can overrule that they can go over the top of the local community
0: and the, and is is that is there potential for that to happen? Are the WSL still making yeah, inroads? could.
1: I don't know. Um, it, it's so early days. Like this only all happened yesterday. So um, I guess it remains to be seen what uh, the state government's going to do.
0: And do you think there's any potential? Because there's been a lot of noise about this. There's been a lot of rumors. There's been a bunch of things said. Community groups online. All kinds of, all kinds of publicity just on not having the event. Do you think there's the potential for the Barbara Streisand effect to happen? Do you know the Barbara Streisand effect? Oh, I'm not aware. No. Oh, she. So in the early 2000s, which is kind of early internet in, on, in mm. some ways, her a photo of her house ended up online as part of just some government coastal. Um, program it just so happened that her house was on the coast and it was like a coastal erosion website mm. and she made up such a stink about the lack of privacy and her f- house being on there but the the result of that was ended up that she had so much publicity and, and so many more people saw that photo of her house than they ever would if she if she hadn't complained mm. like do you, do you think this noise around lennox is it's already it, it's already like the damage has already started to be done just in terms of that publicity
1: yeah oh. I don't think so. I think that the level of like having a camera trained on the lineup for four days straight, four complete days straight, and, um, you know, there's no surf cam at Lennox. Don't tend to see it pop up in that many surf clips. Mm. They're not – I mean, like it it is, like it's in them, but like – It's
0: shot in a pretty covert way. Yeah, yeah, People keep it pretty under wraps.
1: Yeah, to a degree. I mean, for a a world-famous point break, it is – fairly well regulated by locals and kept in a, you know, semi under wraps. But that said, it's also completely blown out. Like there's fucking housing estates all over the joint. And, um, you know, uh, I think th- the argument was definitely it was part to do with that, like restricting the amount of publicity. I mean, like that was the off the record argument. It, sure, you might get to see the world's best here today, but – uh, two years five years down the track it, it could just turn into an absolute royal clusterfuck like the gold coast and a lot of the commentary from locals was uh and councillors included was we don't want the lennox balanashire turning into the gold coast or byron for that matter and yeah that was one of the
0: big reasons that they said no do we know where the wsl is at right now in terms of their australian events i don't know um
1: but uh, geez, I mean, one of the the revelations from that meeting was that bells had been cancelled. That was just, just was let slip by one of the councillors, uh, and we we sent a request to uh, Neil Ridgeway at Rip Curl, and he denied that. So it's hard to really know what's going on there. But, right. Um,
0: so that was stated in the council yeah. meeting, but <laughs> it 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 hasn't been officially released by Rip Curl or the. WSL. Yeah,
1: because the Lennox contest. I think it was heard from uh, meant to be held from the first of April till the eleventh, which roughly coincided with the Bell's event. So it was a bit confusing. Like, why would the WCL be looking for um, to run a contest in that period when Bell's was already slated for that? And, that, yeah. and a, a big sticking point was, you know, if Bell's is cancelled on account of COVID or whatever, then why should we put our community at risk? Um, of the that's COVID a,
0: that's outbreak? a
1: pretty fair fair point. Yeah, and then it was like, hold on, but. Uh, like, when was Bells cancelled? Like, that was news to everyone and, like, most people in the room and a couple of people seemed to know that and everyone else was clueless. So, mate, it's, uh, yeah, it's all smoke and mirrors at the moment.
0: Yeah, that's I guess that's, they're, they're all unofficial because Bells could be, uh, could still happen somehow, could be relocated to, a, uh, could be on a new date, a new date window, but who knows? But, mate, I'll say this though, like, um, full credit to the WSL for, you know,
1: they're trying to get World Tour Surfing going and, uh, so, you know, I was chatting to Ace Buckin about this in uh, that – I think that original story that went on Stab um, about the, the secret charter flight to get all the surfers out here and, and Ace was making the point that like you really need to be flexible and adaptive at this time. Like it is a clusterfuck, pardon the pun, um, of regulations and border closures and stuff. And so any attempt at having a, an international tour – is going to look like this and people, you know, re- probably sh- we should be patient.
0: And what they're trying to achieve is such a huge feat, especially compared to other sports that have, you know, all these fixed variables, they're indoor, they're in these controlled environments like surfing on the coast in all these little towns. It's, it's, it's tricky to pull off and if the WSL is able to do it and it looks like they're, they're trying really hard, then it's going to be, uh, I think it'll be appreciated by all the surf fans.
1: Yeah, I reckon. I don't commend them for their, their effort, man. They're, they're leaving no stone unturned. I mean, I think um, expecting them to be able to hold a, a world to our uh, like – that expectation is, is a little bit unrealistic. Like, you know, we shouldn't have too high hopes because most of the – The sporting tours or competitions running around the world at the moment are just national, you know, national competitions. The NFL, NBA, NRL, Mm. AFL. You you don't have to go between countries, so there's just a huge, like, a huge barrier uh, for the WSL to get the show on the road. Yeah,
0: for sure. And and the surfing's so much smaller from a financial point of view as to you know to try and make these things happen. There's not the resources around them to. To do it, so what they're trying to pull off is is essentially a miracle. And if they do it, and they're able to crown a world champ this year, then it'll be, um, yeah, it'll be a special achievement.
1: Yeah, no, totally. It's interesting too. I mean, today's current crop of pro surfers are so pampered compared to you know the seventies, eighties, nineties, even. Uh, And uh, it's almost looking like if they're gonna have a a world tour, um, it's gonna it's gonna be stripped back and bare bones kind of stuff. It's going to have to be real budget because they're going to have to watch watch their spend.
0: For sure. Hey, and on that, talking about scrapping and and uh, and getting shit done, you also wrote an... I don't know if that was not the segue I was looking for. Perfect segue. <laughs> well played, Jono. The punch drunk pikey <laughs> scrapping away, throwing shit at the wall and made it
1: stick in the form of a fucking long, long story.
0: Um, yeah, so... You recently, you wrote a story for this week that's been incredibly well received, which is actually the story of your life, essentially. It's titled The Golden Ticket Part One, Why Landing a Job at Stab Probably Saved My Life. And this piece is it's incredibly vulnerable, it's personal, and it's a raw story of your life. And um, I'd love to get you to just read one of the opening paragraphs to give people who haven't read it a sense of um, what's covered in the story. I've got it here if you want to.
1: More than a decade has passed since I walked into the converted house on top of a hair salon that was Stab's office on Bondi Road back in the late 2000s. The product of child abuse, domestic violence, violence and poverty, I arrived for my job interview with two titanium plates in my jaw, a six-inch scar where my skull had been fractured, opened and operated on, a broken nose times three in brackets, and some pretty dismal neural plasticity. The faith put in me by publisher Sam McIntosh and then edi- editor Derek Riley not only changed the course of my life, it probably saved it.
0: What's it like being so vulnerable with your personal story when you know, I mean, a lot of people know you from your, you know, a refined published words. What, words across all the bunch of different news titles and, mm. and surf titles. And then also your, um, you know, you being a larrikin on Ain't That Swell. So what's it like to put so much vulnerability out there in a piece?
1: Oh, it's pretty anxiety provoking. Just only for the reason that um, you're never really sure how your family's going to take it, you know. Like we all kind of try and make it work and stuff and uh, we do a pretty good job of it. But in the past when I've done these stories it's created a fair bit of family drama and controversy um but that's why i do them because i think it's healthy as a journalist to to feel the fear and and anxiety of having yourself put on show like that because it's what i ask people to do for me every day uh, that i do this job you know i'm constantly ringing people up asking them to uh divulge their life story divulge opinions um, divulge uh, things that they've transcended in life and it's scary and uh, I think it's healthy for journalists to realise the power of um, putting yourself on, on show or putting other people on show because uh, if you don't, you can easily just get uh, a bit desensitised to what you're actually doing, like you can fucking destroy people's lives, man. you can destroy relationships um, you can create mental health issues with the click of your fingers on a keyboard Um. So yeah, I, I think it's healthy every now and then to like, as a journalist, um, to be really honest about who you are and where you're at and why you are the way you are.
0: Yeah, it's an incredible story and I, um, I encourage everyone to read it. If you haven't got yourself a STAB premium subscri- subscription, then uh, I highly recommend you do that as well. Support independent journalism, people mm. like Jed Smith, fucking mm. doing the work. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, we're all hanging on for part two. Psyched to hear the rest. Yeah.
1: Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. yeah cheers
0: yeah cheers yeah cheers yeah yeah cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. yeah Cheers. next up we have a chat with sam mcintosh about a recent article he penned winners of 2020 so the article it's a fascinating deep dive into the members of the surf community that thrived during the shitstorm that was 2020 and sam is he's always reluctant to get his gob in front of a microphone and It was especially hard to convince to sit down with me for this chat because I guess just because it was the topic of money, which I get money can be pretty creepy and it's an uncomfortable topic and no one wants to seem overly preoccupied with it. But I convinced Sam to sit down with me and talk money because I feel like that's just what the people want. I just think whether we admit it or not, we're all a little intrigued as to who has a skrilla, and the Google Analytics doesn't lie. That's what it tells us as well and... That's actually the first thing I asked Sam about. So these mics, you pretty much want to just get your mouth almost touching. Right there. So Stab's been covering the financial success of surfers with a yearly story known as the Rich List. And it's always one of the most popular items on the Stab site. So why
2: is the topic of money and who has it so appealing? I do feel really awkward talking about money, but there's so many stories, at least on Stab, about surfer contracts being cut in half, cut in thirds, the cleaning house of the Hurley team. And they are the most read stories. John John leaving Hurley, I think, was the biggest story of 2020 on our site. Or, yeah, it was the number one story. And so there is a lot of interest. Money is a bit of an icky thing to talk about, but these are the things that happened and we covered them. And I don't feel entirely comfortable talking about them but we're really close to a lot of these deals and we're really close to a lot of these companies and surfers and brands. The internet just has unlocked so much information and whether it's a real estate agent's commission or what a royalty is on a pair of Nike or Air Jordans or just like there's what an artist gets paid for Spotify plays and this is another one of these things like the surf industry got really big and a lot of these brands end up on the stock exchange. And so as a part of that, as part of the compliance, there is this transparency in this open book policy. So you get to see these things. And so since then, it's just been opened up. And I don't know where it's just people are interested in it. It's It's a barometer most people understand. And even though these numbers are a lot larger than most people deal with. I guess they are relatable because it just comes down to money. So
0: I guess that's why it's appealing. When you Google anyone's name, the first prompts, the suggested search items that pop up are always like net worth and girlfriend. So it's like sex and money or just for whatever reason, just the innate things that humans are interested in, I guess.
2: Yeah, that's true actually.
0: It's just, it's all anyone cares about really what it comes down to it. And if you had to take some like Freudian uh, psychological angle, it's, it's that's why we do anything is, is uh, for those... Uh, Sex, money, power or whatever. Actually, that's not what he said. I'm not going to paraphrase Freud. I don't even have no idea what he said. But what I want to know is how much has the rich list... This year it was called the winners of 2020, but essentially it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's the people who are the, the biggest
2: financial earners
0: in surfing. How has it changed over the years?
2: I think the biggest change over the past five years would be the three most influential guys or the guys who have been, I guess, would be called the most iconic. They've all gone and started their own operations. So... And I think we've spoken about this, Dane, John, and Kelly, both starting their own apparel brands. That's been the biggest shift. And then, so Mick, rather than doing his annual creatures deal, becomes a shareholder. Like there's more and more of that, I guess, inspired by the skate industry. So that would be the biggest shift. And the other biggest change would be surfers in, investing in booze brands. And the the, the opportunity for these surfers is, there's no real overlap. So if you ride for, say, FCS and FCN starts making backpacks and but then you ride for Billabong, there is that overlap there and there is friction but like you can ride for an energy drink brand. You can also ride for an alcohol brand and there's no friction between them. Yeah,
0: and there's such bigger paydays. Like you, when you start dealing with the, the sort of money and sponsorship contracts of an or, or even ownership stake of an alcohol company, it just – it's just, it dwarfs any, any surf contract or most surf contracts.
2: Yeah. Like it's uh, and they're not all success stories, but then there's the, obviously the Bolter story, which was like a rumored $200 million deal or in excess of that. And then there was the St. Archer $70 million deal. And so I think a lot of surfers got stars in their eyes and said, yeah, I've got to get into booze, which a lot of people have, but that has been the biggest shift.
0: Yeah, and then what about the variety of um, not only companies that are are contributing to the rich list, but also the amount of surfers that are in there? Like this year, there's a twelve-year-old girl. There's uh, someone who, you know, hasn't been, led Hamilton, who hasn't been a traditional pro surfer for such a long time. Like, or is that is that just stab including those in this list? Sorry,
2: this isn't the like this isn't the this isn't the top 10 this year. It was just noteworthy shifts or noteworthy contracts or unexpected contracts. So just remarkable stories that we found. Yeah, right. Okay. And, um, and,
0: oh, what was my next question? Sorry. Let me, give me a second here. And so, no one, other than like the epidemiology experts out there, no one predicted this just world spinning off its axis type situation with 2020 and yet some people thrived a lot of people
2: suffered financially but some people actually thrive like what do you put that down to i think like any success a lot of it comes down to luck and then i think the other commonalities between it like hard work risk hard work risk luck they're always really the things behind most people's success those three things hard work risk luck that common thread is a Pretty potent mix for success.
0: And two people that made the winners of 2020 were the old dogs, Machado and Taylor Knox, when activewear brand v- Vuri how, did it, how do you pronounce that? I think it's Viori. Viori. Viori signed them and they signed them as investment in happiness collaborators. So they're big contracts. And when Rob was dropped by Hurley and Taylor was dropped by Reef, did you anticipate them signing uh, another
2: significant surf deal in their surf contract in their career that was the biggest surprise to me to like when they did the house cleaning of the Hurley team that was the biggest surprise to me when when Rob got shown the door because I'd heard so many things over the years about him over, index, over indexing in influence sales like he was the guy we spoke with Evan Slater about the article and he was the marketing director of Hurley while Rob was there he said While ever Rob is riding waves, he's really valuable and he's like the sort of the modern-day Jerry Lopez. And so that was surprised to see him go. I just don't expect someone like Rob to be on the shelf, even though his next significant birthday is his 50th birthday. He just has that appeal, especially since also that surfing has broadened so much. So like the modern performance shortboard, air reverse, like highly technical surfing is great, but it is less appealing than it has been in the past. And if you look at, say, just anecdotally at least, we do the stab in the dark, we do the electric acid surfboard test. We put those boards in surf stores with a Waco and you can rent those boards. And the electric acid boards rent sort of five to one to the stab in the dark boards. And so Rob fits that space and that's he's probably at the peak of his powers now because he's just so good at riding those boards. Yeah, it is interesting that that growth
0: in in surf, because it hasn't necessarily been the core. I know I traveled through Central America and I was in this one town about 10 years ago in Nicaragua and I came I was back there a couple of years ago so it was an eight-year gap and the difference was it was Americans and Australians surfing these spots and when I came back it was still Americans and Australians and a few French people surfing these spots but the spots next to it that were slightly protected from the swirl were just suddenly went from unsurfed to so crowded people on longboards and everything you know all the way down to fishes and it was people from all over the world
2: yeah I feel like the really core conservative guy now has opened his eyes a little bit to, to surfcraft as well like you just see well on our channels Torrin Martin guys like that the, the appeal of those guys even the Jai Glinderman comparing him to a normal kid like we made that film with him last year little microdose doesn't mm. do a single error verse
0: yeah you know what's funny is Greg Weber said in a Stab magazine interview Probably fifteen years ago. How long's that been going for? Was it two thousand and four. Yeah. So it might have been it might have been at least over ten years ago. And he said the most functional board that for any surfer is the mini mail, but it's also the most unsexy. And that he's he, he stated that most surfers should be riding mini mails but have the most fun because they've got that volume, but they're also refined enough to do a turn. And I feel like the mid-length era we're in now is just a rebrand of a mini male. It's suddenly a, a, a mid length is now, you know, they're different surfboards, but they're effectively the same thing in terms of length and the amount of foam. And it's like the, 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 the mini males had a rebrand and suddenly it's socially acceptable to surf on them. And, uh, and they are going bananas.
2: Yeah. And he's always been ahead of his time. I, I truly believe he was the first person to do the surfboard model. Maybe he started with the afterburner. Mm. I don't think prior to that, there'd ever been like a surfboard model, not one with, at least commercial success. So, yeah, that is the standard now, isn't it? But before that, it was customs
0: and it was almost all customs, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Greg Webber, the visionary. Another person to make the rich list or the winners of 2020 this year was 12-year-old surfer, skater and ladybird star, Sky Brown. So she made the list this year by signing a deal with Barbie to create her own bespoke doll. And she's also got her own book, Sky's the Limit. And then she's on top of that, she's got sponsorship deals with some of the biggest brands in action sports. Can you talk me through? And she's got her own song. She's got her, oh, that's right. She, you showed it's me that the other day. She's song. got a song on <laughs> YouTube. They knew I'm fast
1: on my feet. Gravity got nothing on me. Take a look at my lip gloss on. Ride die, I've gotta be strong. Gotta be fast,
0: gotta be. Can you talk tough. me through her potential, her marketing potential, and why she she's she's had the success she
2: has? I think she's just like that supernova talent. Like she has multi skills, surfing, skating. And then it's almost unrecognizable for like an older generation to think that that's actually a possibility. Like the youngest in the Olympics since 1930 or something. Like the stats against her name, you just can't actually believe they're real. And so I think the opportunities, like she's based in North America, where that, those that's where all the opportunity is. And she has great management. So there's just like, yep, take that take that opportunity, take that one, take that one. The f- the really interesting thing I think is the fact that Nike owned Hurley. So Nike were in surfing. They had Hurley. And so they got out of surfing in both of those things. They sold Hurley. And now she has the ability to ride for Nike and Billabong shirt. So, shirt. Ah. So she rides for Nike for her athletic wear. And then Billabong bikinis and Billabong wetsuits. When you you sp- would
0: have interacted with Sky really early at the first stab high when she was a ladybird there and she made the final against Sierra Kerr who just beat her in the surf off. What was your? Did you notice this enigmatic star? Um, you know, did you? Were you able to predict the the success that she was about to have?
2: No, like uh, when you watch, when you watched her, like she came in, she was just this cool little chick. And she was doing these like little frontside finna hangers, and then like looking lay laybacks, so were really cool. Between the finals, the four ladybirds were just on these floating pontoons, swimming and jumping off and pushing each other around. They're just like ten-year-old girls, and so even her mum and dad was super cool, really mellow. Not they didn't have any crazy requests, so they were just. They said thanks for thanks for having her, and it was really unexpected. I didn't. I didn't see that coming at all.
0: I feel like I'd be intimidated if I was hanging out with her. Like her portfolio was so much more impressive than mine.
2: Yeah, just those overachievers. You know what they're like. They just <laughs> they're good at everything. <laughs>
0: and then, unexpected, at least to me, person on the list was Ryan Miller, and he made the list not because of his photography. He made it because what he's done with his photography money, which is invested in stocks, and in particular Tesla. He's had a huge win there. Yep. How did? How does a surf photog become such a Stock exchange guru
2: Yeah This is the interesting part Because He's on this thread He's kind of like The the shaman of this little thread This text thread This I think it's called Losers take profits And it's like uh, Kelly John Nathan Florence Eric Knudsen Shane Dorian Like there's a bunch of these guys And they're just on this thread all day And then so he was the best performer of 2020 And then they are shaping up again for 2021 So he made 756%. So if you look at like what an average investment fund might do, they do 12%, pretty good result. Yeah, that's good. I think 10% is
0: considered average, right? Yeah. Or even better than average. I think seven might be average. And he did, how did he, was it 756, did
2: you say? 756%, yeah. So he's been on four stocks that have done 10 baggers, like they've gone up 1,000%. And yeah, he's just an interesting cat, studies hard, takes risks and- He's on this thread with these guys. And then once you look into it, and you start talking to him about it. They're all these really savvy investors. And then he sends you a link. And then he's Shane Dorian on a podcast talking about his investing. Really? Yeah.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Steady Trade podcast. Tim Bowen and I today have a really cool guest. Uh, Shane Dorian is somebody that I am a secret fan of.
2: I'm like an intermediate term position trader. Okay. So um, I buy technical setups of companies that I really want to own. And then Shane Dorian talks about hey, I didn't actually get it when I first started. Uh, I got sponsored by this energy drink company called Monster. And then when you look into it, because he's like, I regret not investing in it, I just took my check. And when you look into it, the best performing stock on the New York Stock Exchange of the past 20 years, number one above tesla amazon apple is monster energy is it yeah and so he talks about that and then uh it's really interesting but they're really into it wow yeah yeah that was so unexpected
0: yeah and do you did you get a sense of who else in this text thread um do they do they share tips and
2: are they, are they all sharing in that success i think the person who got second maybe was 200 percent up right And then he went super hard on Tesla and everyone knows about the year that Tesla had. Yeah. Last year was his worst year for photography because he travels the world tour, travels the world tour, shoots everyone, sells those images back to the brands. The tour off, he was just at home, but it was his best year ever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Man, that's amazing.
2: And he's got the trophy and everything. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. yeah,
0: there's a photo in the story of yeah. him holding his trophy, and there's also photos from his Instagram of him wearing his Tesla shorts uh, around the world. We're pretty proud. Yeah. Uh, have you heard much about Kelly's attention to investment? I think he's. I know he's in that tech thread, but I think beyond that, he's he's someone who's really, really uh, focused on in that world.
2: I think him and the 2020 and that little team in 2021 will be. Way more dominant. I don't think he realized it was a competition until oh, no. Ryan got the trophy. <laughs> so I this could seriously be hurt, hurt his uh, his uh campaign
0: if the WSL runs a tour this year. He might be... Um, he, man, when you're that competitive, it must be really hard to know where to focus. Huh? And
2: imagine his Rolodex, we could call. Yeah. Oh. He's afforded luxuries that none, no, one, no one really, no one else in that thread would have. Maybe John, but like Kelly's most likely to flex him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then... The person
0: that came in at number two this year is really from a different category in many ways. Mm-hmm. Ellie Jean Coffee, And I think it's really... I mean, most people know what happened with Ellie Jean Coffee. She transitioned... What happened, Danny? She transitioned from influencer and Instagram star into pornography and she created her own business, which was similar to an OnlyFans account. And I think it was... I think it's... I mean, she became a millionaire multiple times over, uh, which is all covered off in your story. And I think it would be... I
2: mean, how much money did she make? She did 1.5, we're talking AUD, not USD, 1.5 in the first month and I think it rounds out at about a million a month following that.
0: Wow. So, really impressive and I think it, it's, it'd be really easy to assume it, it was all just based on a flow effect from Instagram and, and then she just made that money but what
2: actually led to her success? Well, let's be clear at the start, though. Like, there's because when you talk about this stuff, people get agitated. It's like we're not talking about this from a moral eth- or ethical standpoint, right? This is just, hey, here's what she did commercially and here's how it worked. Yeah. These like, are the facts. Yeah. Otherwise, you just like that's a slippery slope. But there's not, this is passing no judgment on what it is or how it works. Yeah. But there is some genius to how how she did it. So she has a male dominant audience. So if you're sponsored by a surf brand, it's hard to convert those people to buy bikinis and uh, that's been widely known that it's a male-dominant audience and so essentially that audience are ready to be converted to some kind of payment platform if she serves up the content they want. So there's a few things she did that were quite clever. So when she launched, she came out with that outrage kind of plea of what went on and we're not saying that's right or wrong but that was, that was something that caught headlines around the world. And she talked about the pains of what happened to her from the surf industry and the distress it caused, which it most likely did. We're not questioning that. However, what that did was it just provided the most astronomically large audience for her to push her new platform. So I was like, all this stuff happened to me. I'm really distraught. Hey, here's my new channel. And if you look at, if you Google that period, I think it was October 1, like the spike in her Google trends is just, it's psychotic, it's yeah. off the charts. And there is a genius to that. Previously, she's arrived at Billabong. There was a post when she left Billabong years ago. Thank you so much, had the most amazing time. But that post disappeared the moment she put this other one up. And like I say, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but the way she framed it, she couldn't be done for defamation or she couldn't get caught up in the day-to-day of that because she didn't actually make any allegations toward anyone. There was nothing concrete. And so it just meant she could get on with, okay, here's my story, here's my name, it's widened up, here's my new platform. But she can get on with getting the business happening as opposed to getting bogged down in litigation or lawsuits or anything else that could come of her calling all these people out. That was a sort of a masterstroke there in itself it was just a great way to convert to a new audience. And there's nothing more salacious than former pro surfer, sexual abuse, here's my new triple X site. Like but <laughs> that's a pretty it, potent cocktail it, for, it, for it headlines. Is,
0: but it's, it's also kind of conflicting in some way, isn't it?
2: Yeah. And I talked to her about this. I was like, hey, and she's like, it would have taken off anyway. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It, it would have. But I dare say, and this is also anecdotal, and she wouldn't tell me yes or no on this. Ellie wouldn't tell me yes or no, but I dare say her because her sister's got one as well. Her sister was equally as good a surfer. She has a bigger following, but I think Ellie Jean's success, commercial success has been far greater. She's making more money. That's my assumption. Mm. Yeah. And it, it's, oh. it's,
0: it's really interesting what you include included in the article, which was the Google Trends data around her name. And, you know, there is uh, not even a blip. And then all of a sudden, as soon as those articles came out and she made those claims in the media, it is uh, a giant, giant spike. And and like you said, she timed it with the release of her site, I guess you call it, and or her service. And um, it had to have had a huge effect.
2: Yeah, I think that's where the master her mastery came. Like that's where it was revealed. And the other part of it that's is was the how she dealt with the commission. So she created her own platform, so she wasn't using OnlyFans, which takes twenty percent commission. She didn't use Patreon, which takes, I think, 8 to 12%. And so, say she did 1.5 million the first month. If she was with OnlyFans, she would have given the 300K, but she didn't have to do that, which is pretty clever in itself. Yeah, that was extremely savvy.
0: All right. And I think if anyone else wants to read any more uh, about this story of Ellie Jean or any of the other people that made the winners of 2020 list, then they should sign up to Stab Premium. There's so many fascinating. Um, Things that happened this year in terms of surfers making money in different ways: there's lawsuits, there's there's pornography, there's Barbie dolls, there's uh, surfboard stuff. There's all kinds of um interesting things. So, yes, sign on up to Stab Premium to get the full list. And um, any last words, Sam? It's some, what kind of universe has led come number one in 2020? <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> Laird Hamilton is back in a big way. He's, he's number one on the,
2: on the rich list. All that's right in the world. All that's right in the world. All, well. that's, all right that's right in the world. All, right
0: all right that's right in the world. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Can't believe you made it all the way to the very end. So email me at danny at rollingyouth.com if you're looking for a pen pal and we will see you next week or I'll see you next week. You won't see anything. You'll listen if you do.